we continue our series, our, our kind of our, really our church membership series, and just again to give you an idea of where we've come up to this point and kind of where we're going, uh, so far we've talked about or given a definition as to what is the church. And uh, if you have not heard that message yet, or if you've heard it and may want to listen to it again, you can go online and listen to that as far as what is the church, especially in contrast to the universal church uh, in relationship to the local church. And so we give definition to how to understand all Christians who belong to the body of Christ, but as it's kind of explicitly manifested within a local church context. And then we go into, uh, we went into the vision of IBC, which again, the vision and the mission of IBC, you can see on the walls when you come into the church doors, the right on the wall, there's a reason why we, we kind of tore down a lot of the other things that were on the walls, not because we hated those necessarily, but basically we, we wanted to bring, draw your attention to and keep reminding you of, even if it was indirectly, of this is who we are and this is what we're all about. So the vision of IBC is to glorify God in all things. Remember, as David said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I set the Lord always before me. We desire to be a people that always sets the Lord before them in everything, even in the most mundane activities that we're a part of, like eating and drinking and whatever we may be doing. Our mission, however, in other words, what we do, what we feel compelled by God as informed through Scripture is we are here to make disciples that make disciples. And uh, there's a reason why we kind of keep adding on that qualification because we believe that healthy discipleship is, doesn't stop with you, it continues with you and through you. And so we make disciples that in turn make disciples and probably the key verse that we refer to is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2 when he charges Timothy, his young protege, with the, in this way. He says, Timothy, the things that you have learned from me, these entrust to other faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. There's a multiplication that exists within this discipleship process, and we believe that discipleship that multiplies is healthy discipleship. And then we talked last week about what the church, what church membership is and why we believe, why we feel that church membership is important. Remember, you won't see the phrase church membership in Scripture at all, right? You won't, you won't see that in there at all. Yet we believe that the spirit of church membership is reflected throughout the pages of Scripture. And I believe it's especially important uh, in kind of a, a Western individualistic context in which we live. It's difficult to understand, like, this is how Christians, this is how brothers and sisters who are followers of Christ interact with one another, engage one another, do life with one another. And so, especially as I said, in a Western context, that can be difficult to understand. It can be difficult to grasp. It's not as normal. And so membership is an opportunity to understand how the body of Christ functions and serves one another, especially in a very narcissistic society in which we live. This morning, we are going to be talking about or learning about IBC's leadership structure and really how this structure functions both within and for this church family. And uh, just to kind of give you a little idea as to where we're going here this morning, uh, after I give a kind of a brief explanation um, as to what el eldering is, which I'm getting ahead of myself already, when I give a brief explanation as to what our leadership structure is and why we are that kind of leadership structure, we are going to have five of the leaders, uh, they're not all the leaders, but they're going to be five of the leaders that have been functioning in this leadership capacity for a number of years, and they are going to come up here and give a charge, specifically as to the function of an elder. In other words, it's not just the qualification that I'll speak to in just a second, but it's the function of an elder. This is what they commit to you. Again, what, what is church membership? Church membership is a reciprocal relation, relationship that exists between both the individual member as well as to, to its church body as well as to the leaders of that church body. So we're talking about how this, re, this is reciprocal relationship that exists. This morning we're going to talk about how the leaders are responsible for you, how they, what they promise or covenant with you by God's grace to serve you and edify you.
In a few weeks' time, because we have uh, some guest speakers that are coming in, we will talk about, actually, Pastor Mike will be discussing the, the church's response or the church's res- uh, kind of commitment to one another as well as to the church leadership. But this morning, I want to bring greater understanding as to what IBC's leadership structure actually is. I don't know what your background is, though I know for some of you I do, but I know that we come from a lot of different church backgrounds, right? We come from a lot of maybe different denominational backgrounds, and with that comes a lot of different experiences, a lot of different ways in which church functions, not just on a typical like Sunday morning, but also even the way leadership structure is is designed and, and really kind of playing out within a specific local church context. I want to say this just very clearly, uh, very just upfront. The leadership structure that exists at Independent Bible Church, it's what's called elder rule, or it's an elder led model of leadership. Now, you might be going, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be an elder rule, or what does it mean to be an elder led model of leadership? Well, first, let me bring greater clarity as to what an elder is. And does it, you know, you might actually come to mind, like, is an elder technically someone who has white hair or no hair, depending on your genetic makeup? Is that what it means to be an elder? I know, I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't, you were there, I just kind of saw it, that kind of came in. I won't, I won't put the spotlight on you anymore, but yeah, you're welcome, you're welcome. What, what is an elder? Well, on one hand, and I'll get, just kind of very briefly say, the reason why elders are referred to as such is because oftentimes those who are qualified for this ministry are usually older. They have life experience. They have lived life. They understand things. And they are also not new Christians, as Paul will identify in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In other words, elders are people that have walked with God for an extended period of time. But there's, there's different synonyms that you see in Scripture to describe elders or this elder-led model of leadership. They're oftentimes referred to as an overseer or they're referred to as a pastor. They're referred to as a shepherd or referred to as a bishop. And so what we see is that the leadership structure, we, I know sometimes in our 21st century context, we go, well, the pastor is a kind of a higher person and, the, and the, the leadership might be different. And actually, the biblical model of leadership is that we're actually one and the same. I might be a paid elder, in a sense, a staff elder, but basically, there's a bunch of lay elders there, and I just said it there for you, so... All these terms, however, are used interchangeably, whether it be overseer, pastor, shepherd, or bishop. They're all interchangeable terms to refer to the same leadership office. Let me give you a new example for real quickly in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter gives a charge to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he says this. Actually, it's not just Ephesus, but it's a lot of the, the churches that are scattered in the diaspora. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Again, there's just, there are multiple verses we could re- refer to, but you see these, these synonymous terms that are used interchangeably to refer to the same leadership office. So if we were to ask this question again, what is elder leadership then? What is an elder-led model of leadership? We need to understand in a very succinct way that elder leadership is primarily tasked with the responsibility of spiritual oversight for God's people within a local church context. So the elders are primarily tasked with the spiritual oversight, your spiritual well-being. In other words, one way to put it, I think actually Vody Bauckham said it this way, our primary role as pastors and elders is to prepare you to meet God. 
Right now, we can have a relationship with God, but, our, but we are preparing you to meet God face to face. And so there's, it, 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 in some ways, as even was read in scripture, thank you, Steve, for that, it's a daunting task because we are gonna ultimately stand before God and give an account for how well we did by his grace. We will give an account. Did you actually do what I called you to do? Did you edify and build up the church? Are people drawing closer to me because of your leadership, because of your influence, because of your faithfulness? And so that is the primary responsibility of elder leadership. Now you might ask, especially if you have a differing denominational background, well, why, why eldership or why elder rule? What, why is this the structure that we have here? And just to put it very plainly, the reason why we are an elder-led model of leadership is because that's what we see on the pages of Scripture. That's how the first church or the early church functioned. That was the leadership that was instituted in the institutional church uh, and what they, we see playing out in Acts and all throughout the New Testament epistles and letters. And I want to bring some clarifying aspects as to this leadership model. And I'm not at all intending to give an exhaustive explanation to this. Um, but first of all, we need to understand that elder rule is plural. Elder rule is plural. Every single time you see elders referred to in Scripture, with the exception of a few different examples, because Peter, for example, sometimes talks about himself and uses it in the singular, but every time an elder is referred to, it's always in the plural, meaning that we believe a healthy model of elder leadership is not when there's one guy making all the decisions, but there's actually a council of elders or a council of leaders making, that decision, making decisions on behalf of a local church context. And so uh, there's obviously, you could probably refer to, refer to a lot of reasons or good reasons for that, a couple that come to my mind, uh, for one, is that when you have a multitude of opinions and voices to make a decision, I think there's a safety with that. There, uh, in other words, it avoids kind of a self-serving um, decision that can very easily be made, especially if there's a pastor who's kind of in charge, who acts as a, an, a CEO, for example, um, it's also important that we have a plurality of leadership because it's not limited to just to the opinion of one individual. And so again, there's, there's a safety in that. In fact, Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, plural, there is safety. And so we see that first and foremost, we're not a leadership of one. I'm not the boss I fulfill a particular function, but I'm a one voice of many. I have, the, I have one vote on this leadership, and though I think my, my vote does play a, he- a weighty role, the fact is I'm one of many votes on a leadership team that is seeking to serve you and to grow Christ in you. Now, another question oftentimes that comes up is this, can anyone become an elder? Is it open to whomever has a desire to lead in this way? And the answer to that question is no. Not just anybody can become an elder. There are specific qualifications that, kinda, that must be met, that must be true of an individual in order to be considered for eldership. And by the way, just because someone is qualified doesn't mean that they're actually called Someone could actually have, fulfill all these qualifications, but they may not necessarily uh, be led into that particular ministry. Sometimes we've had people going, I feel like my ministry uh, is, is kind of better excelled or is, is more impactful by not being kind of maybe on a certain leadership team. And so that's something that each person has to make a decision before the Lord. But Paul says this kind of in an exhaustive uh, qualification list of who might be considered for this office. He says this in First Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. 
For if if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with, with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Other lists that are really complementary to this list in 1 Timothy are found in Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5 as well. I won't go unpacking all these things. Those are like, that's another series, sermon series in and of itself. But I will just say the operative description is this. An elder is above reproach. Almost all these descriptions actually are examples of how an elder is above reproach. Another common question and my final question that I'll answer this morning is this. It's oftentimes asked, and depending on the context, you know, there's differing interpretations, but the question is, can a woman be an elder? Is it just men, or is it, can you have both men and women on this elder or leadership team? And our conviction is that, no, a woman cannot be an elder, but it is limited to men. One of the primary examples is that even in the description list, we see that an elder is the husband of one wife. Um, and so we could go again. There's a lot of other passages we could refer to. If you want to have a conversation, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'm not going to go into it now, but just to kind of give you the answer, we believe our conviction, our interpretation of Scripture is that that only that only men are re, are qualified for this particular type of leadership uh, task. There's a there's a whole kind of paradigm shift too, which I know is becoming increasingly irrelevant to the culture, but I believe extremely relevant in spite of the culture. And that is this, it's God's design, his his instituted design for the family, the way the family functions, how the husband is the head and the wife is submissive. You see that in Ephesians chapter five. That doesn't mean that one is less and one is is, is more or anything like that. No, it's the particular role that we play out. And so it has nothing to do with less equality or, you know, whatever, more grace by God or anything like that. It comes down to this is God's design for the family unit, it's also, we see this spelled out in his church, and so ultimately we see that this particular leadership role is reserved for men. Let me just say this in qualification, however. It does not mean that Paul, for example, did not refer to m- women on a number of occasions that held leadership roles within the church context. So it's important that we understand, like people go, oh, that means women can't be leaders. No, that's not what the scripture is saying at all. We see that women were leaders throughout the early church all the time. In fact, when Paul usually gives a list of people he was praising and congratulating or, or, or kind of like uh, explicitly mentioning by name, there are more women than men mentioned at the end of his lists. I thought that was kind of an interesting observation. So we see that Paul actually depended heavily on the service and the partnership that he, that he had with both men and women, and especially women. That being said, the office or this position is reserved for men, but within that context, there is great freedom. And that's one thing we need to really understand or to recognize and to embrace. Within the, the overall context of, of male headship, explicitly uh, expressed through, uh, through the eldering office, we see that there is a lot of flexibility Men and women can take on all kinds of leadership roles, all kinds of functions within that church context. In other words, within that protective umbrella, there's great freedom, there's great opportunity, and we want to celebrate that. Here's one of the things that we are desiring to do as a church is to continually to craft our structure as a church to better communicate our biblical belief. Let me say that again. We desire that our structure communicate our biblical interpretation of this, of this model. And what that means is sometimes our structure, not because it was biblically in, uh, informed, but it was just like we just created a structure and this is how it was. And sometimes the deacons were doing this function and sometimes the deaconesses were doing that and sometimes other people were doing this. But the fact is, there's actually great freedom and flexibility for crossover. 
What can happen oftentimes is that we uh, get used to this idea that only deacons are allowed to do this and only deaconesses are allowed to do that, and actually that's not biblically, you can't argue that biblically at all. And so we are desiring to look most like Christ, to re- reflect Christ's church most poignantly, mo- most uh, clearly to the culture in which we live. And so I just want you ladies to understand, if God has laid something on your heart, we would love to talk. It's all about, are you qualified? Are you gifted? Do you have a desire for a particular ministry? Within the protective umbrella of elder leadership, there's great freedom and opportunity for you. That being said, I want to hear from these elders, and I want you to hear from five of our leaders. They are going to come up, and they're going to introduce themselves as each comes up, and they're going to give basically go through five primary functions of this leadership office. Really, five functions in which they are promising or covenanting with you, this is what we desire to do to lead you, to love you, and to help nurture Christ's growth in your life. The first person coming up is Dr. Aaron Swinson. So Aaron, come on up here and address this body. Good morning. Uh, As Aaron said, I'm the other Aaron, Aaron Swenson, and uh, just starting my fifth year on the elder board and currently serving as the the chairman as well there. So uh, the first function that uh, Aaron asked me to share is just, it's kind of simple in the one sense, it's know the sheep. And uh, in some ways it doesn't really require a lot of explanation, but Aaron said I have to talk for a couple minutes, so... I'm going to go ahead and unpack this just a little bit more there. Um, this first function is important because it, it lays the foundation for the next four functions. You can't really do the next four uh, unless you do this. Get to know the sheep and get to know your people uh, in that sense. So I'd like to share a couple verses that uh, kind of give the biblical uh, background for, or uh, support for this function. The first verse is in John ten fourteen, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, God knows his sheep, and uh, while we as elders will definitely never know the sheep as well as God does, that's the example that we're trying to follow um, in that sense. Um, in a way that an elder maintains a healthy uh, awareness of the sheep is to intentionally pursue the sheep uh, in that sense. So uh, the second verse is in Acts twenty twenty eight. It says, Be on guard, or stated another way, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God. And the context here includes both a protective exhortation as well as a general need to be aware of the flock, to watch carefully, to know how the sheep are really doing uh, in that sense. So elders, or uh, under shepherds, if you will, um, we need to get to know our sheep. Um, you know, get to know struggles, triumphs, what God's doing in your life, marriage, kids, you know, on and on there. And I, I'd just like to add, this is not meant as to be negatively intrusive or judgmental. Um, it's meant to help, to encourage, build up, and, and strengthen there. So... Um, so one might ask, how does an elder get to know the sheep? How does an elder get to know um, you guys, the people? And uh, it happens through a variety of contexts. Um, could be through a home Bible study, a life group. Could be through a Sunday school class. Could be through just one-on-one discipleship. Uh, could be through prayer requests that come in. Uh, that you guys submit, and we, we definitely take those seriously, pray for them. But then taking that uh, as an a way to follow up with a person could just be as simple as when we come to church on Sunday, looking around and seeing who's here, who's not here, and if you don't haven't seen somebody in a while, taking the initiative to you know go contact that person and, and see how they're doing uh, in that sense. So different elders do it different ways. There's another way that we as a kind of group have chosen to help fulfill this function, and that means uh, at each elder meeting, and we meet twice a month. Uh, each elder is assigned five member families to follow up with. So then 
over the next two weeks. You give them a call, visit, however you want to do it. Um, but try to make contact with those families. And then at the next meeting, each elder gives a short little report on how people are doing. Uh, and then we go straight into prayer uh, for those individuals uh, in that sense. So um, I don't always get a hold of everybody each time, but every few months we've made it through the membership list and just start back up at the top and cycle through again. Uh, and just continually doing that uh, to, again, get to know people, see how, how people are doing. So as I said in the beginning, this first function kind of lays the foundation for the next, next four. Uh, so how can you protect if you don't know how, where the sheep are struggling? Uh, how can you equip if you don't know where the sheep have deficiencies? How can you lead if you don't know... If you don't allow yourself to get to know the sheep and allow them to trust you to lead, and uh, how do you know what or how to pray for the sheep unless you interact with them? So, function number one, know the sheep. With that, I'll ask Steve Blakeman to come up, and he'll do the next one. Good morning. Looking around, we don't come to the first service very often. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here. My name's Steve Blakeman. Uh, my wife and I have been at this church here for going on 35 years. I've been an elder for 20 years. The, uh, we've raised our children here on that, and uh, IBC has been uh, just a real important refuge for us all of our lives. So it's it's an honor to serve God, and it's an honor to serve you. The subject that I have is uh, protecting the flock, protecting the church. All of us in our lives, individually and collectively, have been attacked, blindsided, pushed and pulled by the pressures of life and the social structure. And the same thing is very much true with the church. Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He, he didn't stop at Ephesus, but he, but he called the elders to him. And this was the specific instructions that he gave. Says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I think you hear his, his priority in that. In the book of Revelation, Jesus rebukes five out of the seven churches, warning them of, of worldly, worldly desires and false teaching, priorities in, in tribulation, perseverance and faithfulness, complacency, recognizing that, that all of these things at any particular point has the potential to corrupt the church. In each one of these letters, he also calls us to repentance and perseverance. And he teaches us how to survive the onslaught of deception and evil that, that is going to fill the earth prior to Christ's return. Many churches nowadays take a lot of liberty with what they define as the fundamentals of the church. IBC has always been a strong teaching church. We have always held in detail, accurately, to the historic, authentic Christian faith. It's what we need. The specific, the unadulterated gospel. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit 
and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is our reference point. Elders, the elders are the watchmen on the wall as cited in Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. We have, our, we have our ear to the ground, listening to what our pastors say, to the feedback that we get from individuals, individually and collectively. Within the context of our discussions, we look for an understanding of, of accurate doctrine, and not just an understanding in our heads, but in the living in our hearts. Elders, even as Paul says, be on guard for yourselves. Elders have to be prepared. What I mean by that is this idea of, of taking the log out of your own eye before you address other people's specs. Elders have to be prepared to stand within the context of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. They need to be able to encourage others. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so the sin's not hardened in your heart, as the book of Ephesians tells us. To confront sin within the context of, of Matthew 18 and to teach. My mentor, I've, I've heard this said different ways at different times, but I remember early on as an elder, my mentor, Richard Winters, he told me, he says, elders are to be prepared to teach, to pray, to sing, and die. That's our calling. That's our commitment to you. Good morning. My name is George Wood. I was just reflecting how long I've been coming to the church. Uh, we, Nancy and I, came here to Port Angeles in 1974. So we've been coming to IBC since 1974. And that, uh, I started calculating that's 47 years now. <laughs> Boy, uh, when we first got here, it was, uh, you know, we looked at the uh, older people in the church, and there was a couple, Chuck and Maxine. Uh, Gilliland that used to uh, we thought were pretty old but I look back on it they weren't that old at all <laughs> but uh, but they've gone home to be with the Lord and not too long ago Nancy and I looked at each other and I she said you know we're the Chuck and Maxines now <laughs> of IBC so it's been a pleasure to be a part of the IBC it's been a foundation for us you know there, there's a phrase that we're all familiar with life is a journey and uh, it's no less true for us as Christians. Uh, from the time of our salvation to the moment of our last breath, our Christian walk is, is a journey. It's a journey of a spiritual growth and revelation. We are born into uh, everlasting life in Christ as infants. And like infants, we slowly grow and mature. And each day brings something new to us, a new revelation, uh, a new understanding. And as time goes on, the expectation is that this infant in Christ will grow into a strong and wise believer. You know, God's purpose for us, for our lives, is not stagnation, but growth. We're where we become more and more like Jesus. And if we're not growing, if we're not moving forward, then we are not fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Paul writes uh, this. We are no longer to be children. We're not to act like children. We're not to think like children. We're not to talk like children. We're no longer to be children. So stagnation then is hurtful 
It's hurtful to us as individuals, and it's also hurtful to the church. We all, every one of us, have been gifted by God to serve and function within the church body. We're all members of that body, all of us. And we have a role to play, each of us, in making the body healthy and energetic and a witness for Christ. So it's important that each of us, each of us, be healthy. It's important that each of us be functioning within the church. If not, the church suffers. It's not just the pastors, it's not just the elders, it's not just the deacons, the deaconesses, the other leaders of the church. It's not up just to them. Each of us has a role to play. So the pastors and the elders are tasked with the job of equipping each of us, each member of the body, to function within their giftedness, to function within the church. In Ephesians, Paul, uh, Ephesians, Paul makes this quite clear, and I'm reading from the New Living Testament. Let me, let me read what he says in chapter 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachings, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying that the responsibility and the duty of the pastors and elders is to equip God's people. To prepare God's people. For what? He says, to do God's work. We're to prepare you to do God's work so that our church may grow in unity and faith with the ultimate goal that each of you will become mature in Christ, that you'll measure up to the fullness of Christ. So it's our goal and mission as elders to make this happen. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by exposing you to the Word through sermons, through small groups, through classes that are offered in person or online, through biblical conferences and through mentoring and discipleship. But most important is taking the Word of God and teaching you how to apply the Word to your lives, to make it applicable to your wives. Lives. You see, the Word has little value to you unless you learn how to apply it and use it in your everyday life. So that's our goal and task. And finally, I've been thinking about this this week. Finally, we attempt to equip by modeling. By modeling what it looks like to be a mature believer. And we're not always very successful at that since we're all growing in Christ. But that's our goal. To be a good model of what it looks like to be a Christian believer, a mature Christian believer. So, that being said, I want to encourage you to make being equipped, your goal. Modeling what it uh, looks like to be a mature believer. Involve yourselves in groups that teach the word and teach you how to apply the word. Keep striving for maturity. Amen. Thank you, George. I'm Vern Swenson, been here at IBC for 38 years as an elder, retired dentist now, and I love to teach the Bible. It's my favorite book. Anywhere, everywhere, it is number one. So my job as an elder is to lead you and feed you. I want to lead you to heaven, to the most beautiful paradise where Jesus 
is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you're going to meet your Heavenly Father. And I want to feed you biblical food along the way. My orders come from 1 Peter chapter 5 and just some highlights. The elders who are among you, I exhort, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I want to give just a brief illustration. Now, I want to take you with my grandson, which I went with this summer, to Merrimere Falls 2. Okay? You know Merrimere Falls 1. But not many of you have been to Merrimere Falls 2, and neither had my grandson. So I took him. I got his power bars, his water bottle, and up we went. Merrimere Falls 1, people all over the place. Come on, Ethan, we're going to go. So we go up to the top platform, and I say... We're going to do it today. So we scramble up the first incline there, holding on to roots and branches and anything to get up. And now we're above Merrimount Falls 1. And then we go along this ledge. And then it's straight down into the creek. Wet going across the creek. And then we got to go straight up. Come on, Ethan, we can do it. And up we go, the very top. And you get to the very top, and you see Merrimere Falls number two, which is spectacular, and nobody goes there. And it's just you and God, and it is beautiful. And you open your Bible, and it's like, wow, this is a great place. And then Ethan and I scramble back. And, of course, we got to go home. And I told you, food is important, the Bible. So we stop at Granny's. And we get ice cream. And we get all excited about our adventure. Man, we got a little slice of heaven. And I love my grandson. I love the Bible. And I love God's people. So, my best lesson on leading is from the 23rd Psalm. Some highlights. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, now if I had a starting team of 12, in ninth grade we have 12 guys playing on basketball team, I'd read out the roster of the team that I was on. So I'm going to read out the roster here from my point of view. So I'm a Bible teacher. I've been teaching the Bible for over 40 years. And currently I'm going to start on the life and letters of John in Sunday school. George Wood is my favorite Sunday school teacher. Now doing the life of Esther. Dan Weldon is my go-to prayer warrior. Kevin Yancey is my Nehemiah IBC Church Remodel Leader. Aaron Bacon is my wise spiritual advisor. Tom Watts really gets my joy factor restored. Corey Durbin is my PA evangelism trainer, Mr. Good News. I mean, we were all over Port Angeles just a couple Saturdays ago. Preaching. Corey Leiden. Rob Craven is my Bible Lands and Health Issues tour guide. Rob Hooker gets, laugh, gets me laughing and working hard on the IBC property. Joe Kelly gets me to focus on Jesus, the great I Am. Steve Blakeman is my gospel prison ministry advisor for years. And Aaron Swenson, my son, is the tireless chairman of the Board of Elders. Thank you for serving Jesus at IBC. And God bless IBC.
Hard to follow that one up. <laughs> well, I'm Dan Weldon. Uh, it's my pleasure that this is the second time in the month that I've been able to come up here and talk to you. Um, and I'm not going to remind you again that I am the oldest of the elders, the eldest of the elders, so don't need to talk about that again. Uh, you know, the, uh, the other day I got my booster shot. And what I can say about that is, it's a real shot in the arm. <laughs> but I tell you that what I've learned over the years is it really gives me a boost is when I get down to the foot of the cross, in front, front of the Lord and pray. I go down and he picks me up every time. It, it's a real thing. So uh, with that, I'm going to just start off, uh, and I've been an elder now, this is my 16th year, uh, with a piece of scripture out of uh, James chapter 5, if anyone among you sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, when that first part, it says, if anyone of you is sick. Well, sick can encompass a lot of things. It's not just physical illness. It can be anything that's overwhelming you. And we take this responsibility very seriously. That if you are in that situation, uh, and you are obedient to the word of God, and you are trusting in us, uh, you come forward and we pray for you. So just keep that in mind as I go through and I'm going to go through today on prayer. And as, as elders, uh, we all recognize the uh, importance of prayer in a church. Because we, we know that prayer is the engine that runs the church. And if... Prayer isn't, if, if, and if prayer isn't uh, being done, well then everything else is but nothing but chin music. And uh, here about almost exactly a year ago, uh, the, the elders uh, had an all-day retreat. And the purpose of that retreat was to determine... Uh, what our main priority priorities were going to be going forward. In a landslide, <laughs> numero one was prayer. You see, we want, we want our church to be what God wants our church to be. And in Matthew 21, it was pretty clear about what God wants the church to be. Because when he saw in the temple that uh, the money changers in there and the things that were going on, uh, he got a little upset and went tipped some tables over. And what did he say? You know, get out of here, you vipers. My house is going to be called the house of prayer. And this is what we wanted for us. We want it to be clear. We want it to be very uh, uh Apparent, evident, for everyone in a congregation and for anyone coming in to this building as, as guests, visitors, they should know right away this is a house of prayer. But you know, when we give the top priority to prayer, and when prayer is the most important thing in the church, and when that's coupled with what gives us the most pleasure as elders, well, it's a wonderful thing. Because we love to pray. We absolutely love to pray. And the elders think that uh, the most powerful and the most beautiful place this side of heaven is at the foot of the cross at the throne of grace. And we spend a lot of time there. 
So we, we uh, especially uh, in that regard, love praying for you. It's our greatest pleasure and our greatest honor. It's a privilege. See, we, as, uh, as Aaron spoke earlier, that uh, we're continually going through the, the list of members because we want everyone to be covered in prayer. And so we're constantly, uh, all the time, praying for somebody in the congregation. Whether you know it or not, if you're a member of this church, you have been prayed for over and over again. We also we just love praying for you. Uh, it might be um, with a telephone call, maybe at our meetings. It may be when you come up here at the end of the service at the altar and lay hands on you and pray for your needs, listen to your concerns. It may be in your home. Uh, it may be when you're in the hospital. Uh, it doesn't matter when or where. Uh, we just love uh, to lift you up and cover you in prayer. And we do this because prayer is the, the purest uh, illustration uh, of our dependence upon the Lord God Almighty. Because uh, he, can, um, he can do uh, abundantly over and beyond anything that we ask or that we think. Um, so, so we we as elders we are follow we are followers because we follow the examples of those that have come before us. And of course, the perfect example as far as prayer goes is Jesus, because Jesus. Every wonderful thing that Jesus did was always preceded by prayer. Whether he was parting the sea, walking on water, calming the storm, uh, picking out the, his followers, the, 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 who would be his disciples, uh, preparing to, to die on the cross, and even when he is on the cross itself, those dramatic prayers at the end of his life even one of intercession. Lord, forgive these because they do not know what they're doing. So he set the example, and the, and the apostles uh, were all the time watching Jesus and uh, following his example because they could see he always going over and praying and praying and praying. And so they followed the example. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. And, the, and the, as the church first started, uh, prayer was rampant, and it just got better and better. And now, as elders, we're following the example of Jesus. We're following the example of the apostles. We pray and pray and pray. So, in conclusion, uh, I'd like to plead with you. Uh, to please, please, for the love of God, for the love of this church, please pray for us. Please pray for the, the leadership of the church, the elders, the deacons, the deaconesses, and all the ministries that go on here, as Steve uh, uh, prayed about earlier. Uh, no matter when, when you pray, in the morning, in the evening, in your devotions, in your in your small groups, please take time to pray for us. I think as we all agree that, that we're in need of revival. The world needs to be a revival. The nation needs revival. Our community needs revival. And our church needs revival. If I can quote uh, Billy Graham on that. He says, 
For the church to get back up on its feet, we need to get back on our knees. <laughs> One more quote, uh, quote uh, Ian Bounds said that only God can move mountains, but uh, faith and prayer can move God. Victory in Jesus. Let's go after it. Thank you. So, um, when we're on a Tuesday morning, typically we uh, envision what a Sunday service is going to look like, and we also try to guess how long it's actually going to take. Um, we envision doing a Q&A up here with all the elders, but it's almost 10 o'clock, and I know we have children in children's church and nursery workers that are working, and I want to be very respectful of that time, and so that means we are not going to be doing a Q&A right now as elders, um, because I want to be able to release that, and we know we have other services coming in, and so um, we had high hopes for that, but I think there'll be another opportunity up for that at a later time. I do will say, I will say this though, however, the elders are always available to talk to you. They would love to talk to you. They would love to pray for you. They would love to process with you. So if you have any questions, if there's anything that's on your mind, on your heart, anything that you're like, man, I'd really like to kind of ask this, please, the door is not just wide open, but we are ready and we are willing and we desire to meet with you. This is how we get to know you better. This is how we get to know how the church, the, the condition of the flock, we desire to equip you and to pray for you more specifically. So please, we have a very open door policy. I know sometimes we can feel like the, that uh, the elders are not uh, approachable, but that's, that's not true at all. We want to know where you're at. So if you have questions, we can have side conversations. We can have private conversations. You can come to an elder meeting and be prayed for. That is open for you. Um, but we are here to serve you by God's grace and to glorify God in our faithfulness uh, until he comes. And so that is our commitment to you. That being said, let us pray and let us conclude our time here this morning. Father, we... Uh, We're so grateful for you because you are the great shepherd. And although you have, in your sovereign design for your church, you have uh, instituted, you have kind of structured this this thing called the church, and it's not just a thing, it it is an institution made up of people, people that have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And you've also established a structure of leadership, Father, of under-shepherds that are reportable and answerable to the great shepherd. And I pray that we as a leadership, Father, would serve your church faithfully, that we would do what's best for your church. Father, only you know what is best for your church. And so I pray for the leadership of IBC. I pray that you would empower them to fulfill their ministry. But I pray for our church as a whole, Lord. I pray that, Father, we would be a church that is united. Not about any one specific thing, but united around you. Because you, Jesus, are the author and the perfecter of our faith. It is always about you. And the moment we take our eyes off you, Father, then we are easily captured and, and led astray and distracted by so many other things. So I'm just reminded of how Peter, when he was jumped out of the boat in his zealousness and his love for you, and the moment he looked at the waves, the moment he looked at all the chaos around him, that's when he sank. But Father, we ask that we would be a church in which we are resolute in our devotion to pursue you because you are our king and you are our Lord and you are our savior. So Father, be glorified in us. Jesus, we want to make much of you. We want to make you look famous. We want to be the aroma of Christ. Holy Spirit, empower us to fulfill our ministry until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. 
God bless you, IBC family. Have a wonderful, blessed day of worship.